Welcome, my name is Kareem Kanji, and this is episode 52. Today, I'm very excited to welcome to the Girth Radio Studios here at Pacific Junction Hotel, Major Adam Saunders. Hope you enjoy this special Remembrance Day episode. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Yeah, so thank you for coming. Yep. Really appreciate it. So it's Major Adam Saunders, mm-hmm. and you're with the Queen's Own Rifles? 31 years with the Queen's Own Rifles. Yeah. The last two years with the Royal Regiment of Canada. Well, okay. That's right. Proudly That's so. Proudly so. Proudly so. Okay. Isn't that, was that a thing we say? Proudly so, or? I am, I am proud to be a member of the Royal Regiment of Canada. Awesome. Now... You are, Ali was sort of filling me in, 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 in on this, and correct me if I'm wrong. So I, I'm coming from a place of, like, ignorance. I, don't, I know nothing about how the military works and, and all of the different uh, um, companies and stuff with, within there. Um, but you're part of the, oh, shoot, what was the word you were using yesterday? So you're the reserves. Right. You're part of the reserves, right? right. So, what, so what is the... Like what is what are the reserves and what are the the non reserves? Like what's the difference between right. between these? So we have regular army, regular, yeah, or it could be air force, navy. Sure, yeah. yeah. So we have regular force and the reserve force. Yeah. The regular force does it full time. Yeah. The reserve force does it part time. Okay. Right. So reservists would typically work uh, a day or two a week, a weekend a month. Okay. And if you're young enough, yeah. maybe all summer, or depending on the kind of job you have. School teachers yeah. get the summer off often, and they can do Army stuff all summer. Okay. School teachers actually do okay at being reservists, okay. if they're interested in, in that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Students. Sure. School year, they're pretty much guaranteed a job for the entire summer. Yeah. So reservists can do full-time service, like oh, my okay. good friend here. Yeah. So yeah, it confuses right. people yeah. that are... I'm a reservist, but yeah. I've done two years full-time service. One of those years was going overseas to Bosnia. Yeah. And then other full-time service that I had done. Uh, in fact, when one of the companies I had worked for uh, collapsed. Oh. So I was offered a job to come and work full-time. Mm-hmm. They said, how would you like to spend uh, two months parachuting and skiing? <laughs> and I'm like, I'll, I'll do that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. But it, you know, so it was it was a good it was a good month, and then that led into other opportunities that you know before you know it, a year was up. Yeah. Because unless if you have a career, you know, I got sidetracked from my civilian career by living the adventure as sure. a reservist. Yeah. You know, so you're always juggling. Reservists are always juggling, you know, this calling of the sort of the military. Yeah. And, and, and maybe balancing a personal life and, and a career, perhaps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, you know, as you get older and, and more responsibilities, yeah. you know, the reserve can be a big distraction. Yeah. Interesting. However, like anything else, what you put into it, you yeah. get out of it. So you could be still considered reservist, but be doing it like full time. Right. Because you've got, you've got the time, you've got the energy. There's well, it just no, becomes your full time job. Okay, fair. Yeah, okay. They hire you on a, on a contract. So your uh, contracts are a year, three, or five years Yeah. To for, for different jobs to fill in. Um, well, a lot of the jobs are for 
there are a number of jobs for full-time reservists that regular Army guys don't typically fill for I whatever see. reason. Okay. And what is, what is your job within the reserves? I am the officer commanding the leadership development company in the Royal Regiment of Canada. That's a mouthful. What does that mean? It is. It's it's way bigger than it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're, you're you're like a leadership trainer. Uh, yes, for for, yeah. for this cell. I mean, it's a small sure. little organization that yeah. I deal with. Yeah. But it it reaches out into other um, sort of a larger picture. Cool. So we have a handful of soldiers that we develop in, in basic training and leadership training. Uh, you know, train the trainer stuff, and then they go off to other organizations and become part of a bigger thing okay so the more quality individuals we send off yeah you know that bodes well because we have regimental pride the royal regiment of canada has a lot of pride ah you know individuals have pride sure so we send you prepared to perform yeah ideally it doesn't always happen sure so we try to structure it because you know our organization our regiment the reserve army you know, we have peaks and valleys where, you know, some units are really good and other units aren't so good. And mm -hmm. then that switches around because a lot of it is personality driven. Sure. You've been a reservist for how long? I think that adds up to 32 years. 32 years. Yeah. I was never good enough. I'm still trying to figure that You're out. You're trying, yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out how you lasted I that long? I know people or... who are 32. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, what drew you to, to the military? It was like a calling. Yeah? Uh, you know, I was always interested in... I'm a baby boomer, right? So okay. all of my toys were guns and G.I. Joes yeah. and and all the programs on television were combat and Hogan's Heroes yeah. and Rat Patrol. And so, you know, whether that was the, the, the calling in front of me, but maybe there was something bigger, who knows? I mean, my grandfather's... My father, yeah, were you know grandfathers in World War One, father in World War Two, so always an interest. I, I can't explain it. Always an interest. Yeah, we you... joke about needing to prove you're a man, needing to do this, <laughs> proving this, proving. But you know, no, it, it, it's like maybe adventure. Okay. Who knows? Yeah. You know, maybe maybe I like structure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it, it's that thing. I know I I do. Well, in structure, oddly enough, yeah, you know, no one who knows me would believe that. My son would do well in structure. Okay, and and, and the structure that we provide is incredible. And is he following in your footsteps? No. Okay. <laughs> um, I told you about him already. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, do you do you recall? You know, you talked about your 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 grandfather's mm -hmm. and your father being mm -hmm. um, in the military. Do you was it the stories that they were telling? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what sort of stories do you remember them well, telling you? Actually, I never met um, one of my grandfathers. Okay. And my other grandfather never actually told me too many stories. Mm -hmm. He never fought. Okay. And then my father was in the Air Force, and he was a technician, so he doesn't have a lot of stories. Okay. About the war, but about his experiences. Yeah. So you'll find, though, that... Um, Soldiers who've been in action, like, don't talk about it to family or anybody. Maybe to their buddies. Yeah. My mother used to tell me that she, her father, who was in the 3rd Battalion that we, from World War One, that the Royal Regiment of Canada perpetuates, um, 
which is why I'm so proud to be a royal, because my grandfather was um, in, in a regiment that we perpetuate. My mother would say to me that uh, her father would have his friends over. Okay. And they would have a few drinks, and only her brother was allowed to listen. And there was probably some war talk. Yeah. And he was at the very first battle we were in in April 1915. The Canadians were in World War One and was shot and left for dead after, like, all these attacks and all these crazy things. This is your maternal grandfather. Maternal grandfather. Yeah. And uh, so he spent eight or nine months training and was in action for a day or two and ha- and, and you know was on the other end of the first industrial-scale gas attack in history. Jeez. And... You know, the Canadians, there was 15,000 of them up against tens of thousands of, of Germans, mm-hmm. of the Kaiser's Germany, yeah, attacking. And, and, and we held. It was yeah. every bit as glorious, if you can use that word, as Vimy Ridge or Passchendaele. That was sure. our very first battle. So I didn't get any direct stories about that from him. Yeah. But I read about an insatiable in, in wanting to understand his experience and his friend's experience. And most of that, but half of that battalion, the remains were never found. They're still in the ground wow. in Belgium. And I've got a little organization that we're working on raising money, in fact, to see if we can't find these guys. Mm-hmm. Some of them, one of them's named Jarvis, who's from a family that the street's named after, and the other one's named Ryerson, whose family... Uh, yeah. Ryerson University was made on because his father and grandfather created the model school, which turned into Ryerson. My other grandfather flew. He was a pilot in World War One. Okay. And there was a lot of guys killed learning to fly these machines, as they called them, made of fabric and wood. Spruce. Wow. Guys would walk into the propeller. You know, just things would happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't necessarily all that aerodynamically sound or aerodynamically sound. And it's fascinating to go on YouTube and I can experience something that I never could have experienced before, which is what to watch a Kurdish JN4 fire up and fly. So the engine doesn't sound as healthy as possibly your lawnmower engine. The engine kind of goes, and that's the way it sounds when it's flying. Oh, man. And it's like the whole thing's precarious. Yeah. So I have his diary and a photo of him oh, wow. when he made his first solo. Yeah. And he flipped his plane on landing wow. out um, by um, near Picton, where one of the aerodromes was, as they called it. And they just land on a field. And mm-hmm. he flipped it. And then there's a photograph of him with his flipped plane. Then he got sent to England. Yeah. And to his fortune and my good fortune, the war sure. ended. Hmm. So I didn't get any. So, he, you know, his stories were, you know, when he flipped the plane and some of his learning techniques. He worked for the Bell. So after World War I and II, a lot of guys would come back from the military and get into corporations and use sort of the, the ways of teaching and learning that they had learned in the military yeah. in, in corporate life. Yeah. So after World War I and World War II, corporations very much resembled a military organization. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's sort of watered down in... Yeah. in different ways now, but still the structure and, and that. Which bode, which uh, I, I would think would, would bode, bode well for them, sort of going from uh, one well, thing to efficient- the Yeah, the efficiency, mm. you know, um, structure sort of works in large companies.
I want to talk about the places you've been. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you talked about um, Bosnia, right? Being to Bosnia, mm-hmm. uh, where was the first place, um, I guess, outside of Canada that you went as as a reservist? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, we, we would go to the United States often, but you know, the, training, just like yeah, it's like being okay. here. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Bosnia was the place that I got to deploy. I mean, you know, I've done some great training in England mm-hmm. with the British Parachute Regiment. I got to spend crawl from one end of the Outer Hebrides to the other end of the Outer Hebrides, which was pretty cool. Where is that? I'm not familiar. Um, they make a lot of scotch there. It's a very peaty place. It's, it's uh, on the west coast of Scotland, right okay. up north. Okay. And we got to march from the south end of South Uist. To mm-hmm. the north end of North Uist mm-hmm. in a in a little sort of Iron Man thing. Oh wow! And then I spent you know a week after limping around London. <laughs> in fact, we got to fly home and parachute onto Salisbury Plain. Wow! Where my grandfather had trained in World War One. Yeah. And where Stonehenge is, so I got to see Stonehenge. Wow! Not from the air, but as we were driving by, which sure. Was really cool. So that you know, this was all sort of some some historical stuff that I um, was hoping to experience and got to. Yeah. But then I got to go, it spent six months, just about six months in workup training with the 1st Royal Canadian Regiment, mm-hmm. the 1st Battalion Royal Canadian Regiment, Delta Company, and went to Bosnia. Yeah. And was in um, an area called Cluj. And so the Dayton Accord was the governing factor in the rebuilding of... Uh, of the infrastructure and of the areas and allowing people to go back to where they came from. Because okay. ethnic cleansing had cleared yeah. people out of traditional areas that they had lived in. Yeah. So I got to go around the countryside in, in our area and talk to people about, you know, why is it so important that you stay here or that you go back there? And they said, well, we're from here. I yeah. go, well, who's from here? Well, my grandparents. Well, where are they? Well, they're there. And they show me the grave. And then... Wow. What about their parents? Well, they're there. And what about their parents? And they're there. And they could show me their relation to, to the, the land. land. Yeah. That, you know, I couldn't tell where these graves were. They'd been overgrown and stuff, but they knew exactly where graves were for generations of their family. Yeah. So that was very important to them. Yeah. That that, that land, that property, that place. Mm-hmm. So important they'd be willing to die for it. Yeah. So part of the infrastructural redevelopment mainly with American money, um, you know, was to, you know, the seven pillars as we always have, and then to meet all these conditions where cities and municipalities would get money if they met conditions to allow uh, people of sort of mixed everything come back to where they were. Yeah. And it, it wasn't easy and it wasn't friendly and people were getting killed because there were still um, a lot of open wounds. Tell me about this this whole concept of home. Um, it, it's something that you know we, we hear about. You know when we uh, when you watch the news and you, and you hear about the Russian bombing in Syria, and you know the conversation comes to why don't they just leave? Why do they stay in these places? Yeah. You know, and and it, it happens all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be in Palestine or, or wherever it may be. Um, tell me, you know, your experience and what people told you. You know. Why Why do they stay? Like, what's that yeah. That concept of home for them? Right. So, you know, as you say, in my experience in Bosnia, yeah. I mean, it was curious to me. Yeah. Because people would have been happy to resettle these people 
in other places. Yeah, yeah. Officials would have been happy to put them elsewhere, and it would have, you know, made things a little easier. But those authorities also recognized, because they were from the area typically, or, or, or had the same culture, that when your grandparents and parents and children and grandchildren or whoever right, are buried there, I, I can't explain that myself. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, but but it's it's uh, it's a calling. It's it's something just beyond common sense. You know, yeah. it, it, it's what they've known. And you know, I guess there's a difference also between you know a lot of these people we were dealing with were from rural areas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, little towns could be strange to them. Also, little towns. Um, could preclude them from some of the commerce because there's always a divide in these areas with ethnicity, with religion, whatever layer you want to put on it. Mm-hmm. So in some towns, you could tell the difference of who lived in that town based on the shape of the roofs, whether it was oh. a, a peaked roof or a, a four-sided roof. You could say, those are so- uh-huh. Serbs, those are Croats. Those are Bosniaks, which were yeah. uh, Muslim Serbs and um, Muslims. And uh, so, you know, it's safe in some ways, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's some spirituality. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, in a few days, uh, we're in Canada, at least. I don't know what, what they do. Uh, in another England, places. United States. England, yeah. uh, we... we uh, is, is Remembrance Day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say celebrate. Would that be a right term? Commemorate. Commemorate. Yeah. yeah. Um, Remembrance Day. You know, there, there's, um, you know, I'll, I'll have, probably have my, my 10-year-old son listen to this. Uh, but there'll be, you know, adults that listen to this and stuff. But what, you know, what is, what's the, the importance of, of Remembrance Day? Why, why should we still um, commemorate it? Um, yeah. Talk, talk to so me So we never that. forget. Okay. Right? Off the top, just sort of as the one-off. But never forget what. Yeah. You know? um, so th- we think to some degree, I think now, things have evolved from the way we remember. Yeah. You know, we're a lot more aware, perhaps. Maybe we're not. I think we might be. Of, of A soldier dies, but now we really think a lot about the family and the grief the family has suffered. So... You know, before I, when I was younger, I got the sense that Remembrance Day was about those soldiers. Mm-hmm. But now we have the idea of the fa- the sacrifice that the family had made. Yeah. The sacrifices that the soldiers who survived, but the the, the, the hauntings they lived with, mm-hmm. post traumatic stress syndrome in, in the cases of of guys that I'm aware of from World War II, didn't actually hit them until they were seventy or eighty years old. Wow. You know, they just got on with their life after the war, like everybody else sort of thing. And when their kids grew up and they had time to think, mm-hmm. they started having nightmares. So, I, you know, I, I don't know if everybody thinks that way. I know sort of the army guys get a lot of um, uh, exposure to P- PTSD. Yeah. And and I think we, we think in a pretty broad sense. And, and maybe it was thought like then because those people were so close to the pain of everything that had happened, but not to forget the sacrifices we made. I, I, get, I went to my son's school last year. I got to do two 
sittings of 600 people each. And, you know, I was thinking about them the way a veteran was thinking about me and, 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 and told me about us in the sense mm. that I would go to war with any of you. You know, he was 85. Yeah. And he was there in Normandy in 1944. He, he went ashore at D-Day and fought all the way through northwestern Europe. And he said, you're no different than any of the men, boys, that I went to war with. Hmm. None of you are any different. And then when I was talking to my son's school, yeah. now I'm the old guy, <laughs> which is new for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at these kids thinking the same thing. They're yeah. the ones going to war. Yeah. So we don't want to forget the sacrifices that were made, why those sacrifices were made, the accomplishments that were made. The freedoms that we have, I think we can largely attribute to a lot of the uh, sacrifice that was made. Mm -hmm. One of the um, one of the things I remember um, was the whole this whole notion of uh, Canadian peacekeeping troops. Mm -hmm. They were called peacekeeping, or right. maybe the sort of the role yes. was sort of peacekeeping, and um, it, it seems to have gone by the wayside. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm just, you know, things that you see on news or read in newspapers and right. stuff like that. Um, you know, what, what, you know, what is Canada's role these days in terms of the military in, in the world? Okay. I, I, I just give my opinion on that from yeah. my, my perspective. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and so I see peacekeeping, you know, peacekeeping was with the United Nations and, and yes. for a lot of different reasons. Peacekeeping wasn't working, which is sort of how I ended up being deployed to Bosnia with NATO. Okay. So I went to Bosnia with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. All the stuff going on in Yugoslavia when the Canadians were there had to do with the United Nations. And, you know, you're an observer force to a large degree. Mm -hmm. You weren't allowed just to go and, and shoot things up or do what you think is right. There yeah. was... A hierarchy yeah. that wasn't necessarily as functional as you would like it to be mm -hmm. when you're in the middle of a lot of terrible things happening. Yeah. The command center, I have read from various books um, uh, by General McKenzie, for instance, said the command center in New York for the UN, you know, was only open Monday to Friday, nine to five. <laughs> you know, and in the middle of the night, they need decisions like, are they going to shoot back at the snipers or not? Yeah. So that didn't seem to be working. I mean, it was great that we had soldiers to observe atrocities. Yeah. So they could be reported back on, and maybe in a decade we could round some of these guys up and they'd be sent off to The Hague. Mm. Certainly took a toll on our men. Sure. In the MEDAC pocket, our guys actually engaged in combat as members of the UN. Yeah. And... You know, we didn't hear a lot about what happened until many years later with mm -hmm. that. And it was just a horrific situation. And our guys were directly challenged, and, and so they were able to, to fight back. So, so the peacekeeping, you know, it's terminology, right? The peacekeeping rule uh, rolls into NATO, you know, where you can have uh, what we call more robust... Uh, terms of engagement on the ground decision making even yes yeah so you can sort of stand and fight if you need to yeah 
So you so let's get back to Remembrance Day. Um, so you said the first thing is so that we don't forget. Um, you know what? One of the terms is never forget. Never forget. Yes. Yeah. What 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 else? Why why else should we commemorate Remembrance Day in your opinion? Well, you know, like I say, um, it, it's 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 remembering the sacrifices mm-hmm. you know those who've gone before have made. Yeah. Which to some degree, are the fabric of who we are. Yeah. And then understanding the freedoms we have and where they're from, and and hopefully, you know, we'll recognize not to allow those kind of things to happen again. Yeah. It's it's interesting, you know, when you're in school, they say, you know, hopefully, what do they call World War Two? The world, the war to end all wars, or something like that, if if I remember correctly. I think that's sort of World War One. That was supposed to be World War One. You know, there's some interesting theories about all this. So, yeah. World War One happened, yeah. and there was an armistice, and then World War Two happened, yeah. and and the French look at it as all one war, and and I'm starting to take on that mm-hmm. perspective as well. It's like we had lots of material to fight the war, but we're, Germany was kind of running out of people. The whole world was kind of running out of people. Yeah. It was the Kaiser's Germany. Yeah. And we Why had do you this, make that distinction? By well, the way? I, you know, I was at a ceremony uh, uh, for the hundredth anniversary of the Battle of Saint Julian that my grandfather was at, yeah. and with the gas and all that, and they had um, a uh, kids with uh, thirty kids playing guitars, and they were singing songs of hope, yeah, songs of love, songs of forgiveness. Yeah, that's what they were singing about in, in English, and this yeah. was in, in Belgium, and. Uh, which was very moving. The German ambassador to Belgium and mm-hmm. the Canadian ambassador to Belgium yeah. both carried a massive wreath together, hand in hand, and placed it at the Canadian Memorial, which was sort of the apex of the gas and our heroic stand and all of that stuff. The incredible things the Canadians did at the time. Yeah. And it was interesting to listen to the German ambassador speak because the Germans are our allies. Yes. So in his speech, he kind of differentiated between Kaiser's Germany, Nazi Germany. Ah. So when he talked about World War I, mm-hmm. he called the Kaiser's Army. Yeah. World War II was Nazi Germany. Yeah. And then now we're allies. So it made sense to me that distinction. Interesting. Um. I want to go back to something you said about, um, was it pillars of engagement? Well, there, for the, um, there was terms of engagement, yeah. or rules of engagement, yeah. had to be rules of engagement, and then there was, uh, as often happens in, in when you're rebuilding states, you know, seven yes. pillars yes, of pillars. the rebuilding yeah, yeah. Of, of a state. Tell me about that. What yeah, are, I, I don't remember the seven okay. offhand, <laughs> but they were pretty good. They made okay. sense. I, I read them a few times. They, they even were wrote good. about them. I, you know, all right, I all right, all right. But it, it, you know, it has to do with um, you know basic human rights. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's okay. all common sense stuff about infrastructure, about people going back to where we're supposed to be, about financial reintegration. Um, you know, and, and and the important part was people going back to where they were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a great philosophical piece for everybody to look at. It's a graphic. It's got all these words on it. Mm-hmm. And then the spinoff from that are, are documents and checklists that 
uh, all these various municipalities or little cities or towns had to meet maybe 20 or 30 different criteria and they got money for infrastructure. Okay. Unfortunately, it seemed a lot of the money was spent elsewhere, yeah. but it was a start. Yeah. Um, you seem to me to be an historian on, on, on a lot of this thing. I want to ask you, um, I was taught that Vimy Ridge was sort of Canada's, um, I don't want to say coming out party. Coming of age. Coming of age. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Would you agree with that? You know, I mean, sometimes I like not to agree just to bring something else into it. Okay. And sure, you know, I mean, it was as big and bad and glorious as anything. Yeah. Because it was our core that took this ridge that other armies weren't able to do. We had actually gotten pretty good at fighting. And this is, which war was this? It was World War One. World War One. Okay. April, April 1917 okay. is when we took over Vimy. And okay. so the 100th anniversary is coming up this April. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I have a particular interest in the very first battle we were in, in April 1915 at St. Julian, or Ypres, as it's called. That's right, yeah. Um, where uh, our first division, you know, our guys signed up in August 1914 by October 19. 1914, we'd gone to England, spent the worst winter on record there. There was so much rain, everything was flooded out. It was cold, miserable. February, we go overseas, and April, we're fighting. Hmm. And it was our bad luck, I suppose, that the Germans decided, Kaiser's Germany, Kaiser's army, decided to unleash this gas attack and this massive offensive to, to snip off this salient, a salient being a large bulge in a line. Yeah. And the large bulge was more or less around Ypres. So the, the, the Kaiser's the army... Was there a, not, that, that was a different battle. That's different, okay. But the, so so uh, the Kaiser's army decided to, to unleash it there. Okay. And when the gas hit, the first time gas was ever used, the French were obliterated. A lot of French colonial troops... And a large opening was left in the line, and the Canadians had to fill it. Mm-hmm. And we sent battalions, which are 800 to 1,000 guys in, who more or less, most half of them were killed and are still on that battlefield. So I consider that the, these, these Canadians from all across the country, young men, there were some guys even as old as 50, if you can imagine, 55, Jeez. but, you know, 18, there were some 16-year-olds who snuck in there. Sure. Half of the 20,000 were gone on the first day. But we held our ground. We fought like nobody fought. Mm-hmm. We attacked the woods in the middle of the night with bayonets, and the Germans ran. Yeah. You know, they, they'd never seen anything like this. In accounts I read, nobody could believe, you know, the, the, the Kaiser's army couldn't believe that uh, there was only so many thousand Canadians against the tens of thousands of Germans attacking. Mm-hmm. So... That's a big one to me. But, of course, it gets bigger and bigger. As more divisions come over, we get one division, two divisions, three divisions, four divisions, and then it becomes a core. So 100 years ago now, we just finished all the battles in the Somme, which was a bloodbath, which was just attacking and attacking. It was a war of attrition. And the Somme is where? The Somme's in France. In France. And um, they were just wearing each other down. Mm -hmm. So... The Canadians finally got out of the Somme about 100 years ago, two weeks ago, and got, have now been sent up to an area near Vimy to mm-hmm. reconstitute and rebuild. So all these battalions have lost all these men 
are now going to start training again and get back up to strength for the big battle in that's going to come in April 1917. Yeah. So I've got a blog, or not a blog, a Facebook site, the 3rd Battalion, that I follow along for 100 years ago now. Ah. And on that are transcriptions of the war diary, and I try to post some guys' names to bring it to life of, of a photo, if I can find a name of a guy who was killed or wounded or whatever, uh, where he lived in Toronto. So the Star had a great article uh, where some guys geocoded addresses where people were killed uh, in World War One and World War Two, mm -hmm. where they lived in Toronto, and it's like everywhere. Wow! You know, like there's guys all along King Street who were born here. These were houses, flats above shops. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's pretty certain within not too far from here there'd be a bunch of guys. Yeah. Who this was a primary address, and off they went. And some of them maybe came back and lived here and carried on with their lives, or had. Widows here, or, or or you know, motherless or, or childless sure. mothers who, who lost their, their children. Yeah. So I try to bring it to life in in the uh, in my third time Facebook site. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, I, I was just looking at it. Um, I mean, it goes pretty pretty deep. So I mean, there's there's some 15 year old soldiers, or 16 year old soldiers. They weren't supposed to fight, but they lied. Yeah. And if they got caught, they got sent to England. They didn't get sent back here. <laughs> and if they were, I think it was to 18. At 18, you could go fight. Yeah. But 17-year-olds, they, they put you way back where you're safe. But you know, yeah. a lot of them. They found out how old they were once they were dead. And sure, they it's too late. wrote to your parents saying, oh, what transcription would you like on the grave? Yeah. Because what's cool about uh, Commonwealth graves, mm -hmm. which would be British, New Zealand, Australian, Canadian, yeah. is that we get to put some sort of transcription on the stone. Okay. Americans don't do that. They have sort of name, rank, serial number, where you're from. Yes. So when you walk around the, these cemeteries in France and Belgium and other places in the world, even even in, in Toronto, there's some uh, war graves from guys who made it back here and, but died here. Yeah. Um, the families often put a religious reference. Okay. Or poetry. Yeah. Or something as moving as Miss You, Dad. Wow. Yeah. And, 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 and it's something like that. So I've taken students over on battlefield tours, and, you know, it's easy to get distracted with the gizmos and the iPods and music and each other. Yeah. So I challenge them to wander around and find the most meaningful inscription. Yeah. And then come back, and we'll all share one. Yeah. Each. And I'm waiting to see if any of them can get through it without choking up. Really? Because an easy one to remember is, good night, Daddy. Wow. But... When you're there, it gets you. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think about it now. Yeah. Others may be able to quote Tennyson or a passage from the Bible or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but some of them in their simplicity are, are the most moving. And, and it brings the stones to life in many ways. For it sure. tells a bit of a story. For sure. What are you going to be doing on Remembrance Day? I... Uh, work with a charity called The Last Post Fund, which ensures that... Uh, any destitute veterans who die are given a, a respectable burial. Okay. And if they have no money and, you know, the families have no money, we provide uh, funds and resources to bury uh, a veteran, you know, mm. with, with some dignity. And yeah. And put a stone there for them. So our so-called field of honor in Ontario is in Brampton, a place called Meadowvale. Okay. So... 
I was thinking I'd go out there at 11 o'clock, but I got tricked into going at the 8 o'clock service, so I'm going there to, at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of on it. I joke about you know having to get up early. I mean, the sacrifices people make, and often I think about that. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, I'm cold. I'm tired. It's wet. And it's like, no, shut up. You know, you you go do this. What about the guys? That's what, you, that's what you're thinking about that day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all of our first world problems should go away for a little period of time. So I'll go and do sort of the sunrise ceremony, they're calling it. Okay. And then I, if I can get back to Toronto on time, I'm going to join Ali here for the um, Heart House ceremony, which is fantastic at U of T. And that's at 11 o'clock. And then there's a, a big get-together at the Royal Canadian Military Institute. Where is that? It's on University. It's the, the building with the guns out front, the cannons out front. There's two of them. It's a reference for most people. Just south of Dundas. Okay. There's like an embassy around there? There's an embassy. So we're just north of the embassy. Okay. So it was a three-story old building. We ripped it down, built a condominium, and we get like the first five floors now. <laughs> the condominium. It's quite something. That's Toronto, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, in the old days when a lot of veterans were alive, and can you imagine, you know, even in the 70s, 80s, which for me the 80s isn't that long ago. No. There was the odd World War One veteran. There was a ton of World War Two veterans. So when you went to the military institute, it was like a colorful affair because there were still all these veterans around. Yeah. And, you know, they had campaign stars and maybe they'd been to Burma and Germany and North Atlantic and the Pacific and who knows what. Mm-hmm. And they were dignified gentlemen. Yeah. It was really sort of a special time and place to see them all together in the, in the uniforms or in their jackets with their medals. We have what we call modern-day veterans now. Yeah. So we're, we're sadly, uh, World War II veterans are about, uh, are probably at least 90 years old. How, so, many, how many were there last year when you went? I don't, well, I, they, 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 they're not very mobile. Yeah. You know, so you don't see a lot of them anymore. I, I mean, sure. that's my point, right? Yeah. So we don't see the color we used to see. Yeah. And with our modern-day vets, so there was Korea, and then peacekeeping and all that up till now, which we call modern-day vets. So there's okay. Korea, then the modern-day veterans, MDVs as we call them. Um, and, you know, they're not necessarily living in downtown Toronto. The military isn't really maybe part of their culture so much. Yeah. So it's not like it was, but it's important to us that we go there. And it's a community, really. And, you know, it's not quite a secret community, but it's almost like a secret society with, you know, all these reservists around. Because yeah. there's no regular army bases here. So we don't have all these, like, regular army guys, you know, going to that legion and going to the military institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the regular army guys will be doing stuff near their own bases, which would be Padawawa or Quebec or, yeah. you know, wherever that may be. What's the role of a legion? The role of the legion's evolving. I'm not involved with the legion. The yeah. legion welcomes us. I mean, the legion was a place for uh, veterans to go. Oh, okay. You know, and socialize. Okay. And, and through that socialization, you know, provided... I think some stability to people, their families are there and they mm. say some, I, mean, I was just reading uh, today in the globe about how important family is in any sort of therapy having to do with managing post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yeah. But you know, after world war one and after world war two, I don't think people were talking like that so much. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it just happened through community and common sense that, Families got together at the Legion, and you drank a, bu- a bunch, of, but Bill got into a fight, but that's okay, we're all friends tomorrow, and, you know, whatever it is. He got yeah. out of it. And, and so there was something to that. So the demographics changed, where all these veterans have gone. Yeah. 
So you don't necessarily have to be a veteran or an army guy okay. to join a legion. Okay. So now, so they're, I know they're trying to find meaningful roles mm -hmm. because there's a lot of them around in every community. Because there in World is, War One yeah. and World War Two, you, you know, people from every community in the country were involved with the military. Yeah. I mean, ten percent of the population. I think in World War One there was about six or seven million Canadians, and wow. six hundred thousand Canadians signed up. Crazy. World War II, we're about 11 million, and there was over a million people, men and women, signed up for the military. So it's massive, the numbers, and, and, and that's gone. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, uh, we lost 168 guys in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. and, and that really reverberates to the whole country. Yeah. We lost 66,000 killed in World War One and 45,000 killed in World War Two. It, it, it's unimaginable. Yeah. So it's something to remember and to think about. The effect our 168 guys has. Yeah. How could you ever put your head around every community losing it? The, the Royal Newfoundland Regiment, 1,000 guys were killed in minutes at, at one of the battles in the Somme. Yeah. Community's gone. There's no men. Crazy. It, 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 it's, it's unimaginable. No. So it, it seems a gruesome thing to remember, but you know, remembering sacrifices people have made, and then you know, sort of we're living to the benefit of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I had a chance to go to Arlington mm -hmm. this past summer. Is there anything similar to that here in Canada? Yes. What's it called? Beechwood. Beechwood in Ottawa. Beechwood. Okay, so. It's it's um, you know barely similar. I mean the Americans. I, I know have the a way. Americans. It's their yeah. culture, right? Anything. Yeah. yeah the, the, I mean the Americans have done something up that's like over the top. Yeah. We've created this. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. In time, I think you know it may be of interest. Yeah. So if you go to Ottawa and you're interested in the heritage, you you make. So I know guys who want to be buried there. You know, really? Army okay. guys. You know, when I say army, I mean Navy, Air Force. All yeah, yeah. I have a real affinity to the to the Air Force. So my one of my grandfathers being in the Air Force. Yeah. So I know guys who want to be buried there. You know, and I guess it'll tell a little bit of a story of, of Canadian sure. military history. Yeah. But it's not the same as Arlington, where there's so much there. It was huge. It was massive. But but you know, I'm thankful that we are our intimate little selves, and and that we're not. Americans. Yeah. And I was on a military base in the States when um, one of the, a battleship got blown up in the Middle East. Oh, wow. The USS Cole. And, you know, it, it was a special forces base and people took it pretty hard. Mm hmm. Well, earlier that day, we landed at an airfield in our one little Hercules transport plane. And there were like 40 jets on this airfield. And there was 50 of these Hercules transport planes. You know, I thought, wow, look what the United States has. Yeah. But when that USS Cole got blown up and a bunch of guys killed, you know, it's great to have all that equipment, but we're not engaged. You know, we're not so exposed. We have our yeah. our little thing, our simple little thing to a large degree. And, and uh, you know, I think we're lucky that, that we have what we have in the way it is. You know? Yeah. Um, I want to go back. I, I, I Like I mentioned before, you, you and, and I think you're you're historian, um, when when people talk, you know, there's this really divisive election happening, or has has happened. It's over. It's or it's it's getting over <laughs> tonight. Um, 
people were making connections or saying that, uh, you know, Trump is just like Hitler. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as someone who's had family, mm-hmm. you know, fighting in that part of the world, um, I don't know. Is, is there? Do you think about that at all when, when you, whenever you heard that? Yeah, I think it's a stretch. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a scary guy. Yeah. From my perspective. Yeah. Um, See, I, I was curious whether whether you were like you'd be offended by that. You know, I I watch the election with fascination. Again, thank goodness for our system. These guys have been at it for almost a year. Yeah, it's a long transition. It's not longer than a year. Well, the yeah. the, the the handover. Yeah. From when this election's announced, forget how long it takes Until to hand over. January, January. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more than that. I think it's longer than it's much longer than our handover. We have a very quick handover. Theirs yeah. is protracted. Yeah. So, living this, I, I just from afar. So anything goes. It's a good TV show, isn't it? I, but yeah, I, I, I'm tired of it. I, I, I can yeah. barely watch it anymore, and yeah. I feel sorry for Americans. And, and, yeah. and it's just a disaster. And um, you know, I hope it doesn't continue past election day. Yeah. That they're saying you know it's rigged and it's fixed, and you know I, I read somewhere someone's calling this Americans. America's Civil War. It's crazy. You know, and, I, and I hope it all settles down. So I, I don't pay credence to what I see on the Internet about uh, the Secretary of State or mm. of, uh, of um, uh, Trump. Yeah. You know, you just can't believe anything you read. You know, and it's a wake-up call, actually, with the Internet when all this stuff is posted. Yeah. And they're just blatant lies, right? And, and so you have to look for a credible source so mm-hmm. you can... Be careful there. So, anyway, to your question, yeah. I, I I don't think it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> to call that kind of a name. Yeah. yeah. Um, as, as Canadians, what can we do, or or is there anything that we can do to, um, you know, whether it's continue to remember, you know, on a regular basis, to continue to support those, um, you know, especially those who who suffer from uh, PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what, what, what sort of what can, you know, what can Canadians do? You know, whether it's individuals or whether it's through our representatives. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think Canadians do an amazing job at uh, at commemorating. I mean, we have the Highway of Heroes. Yes. You know, uh, guys' remains come back from Afghanistan, and, and they have to go to a, um, a more... Uh, a, a, the coroner's office in Toronto. Oh, so, that, so I was always curious, like, why do they always go through here? Yeah, so is that the reason? The guys who had the contract to yeah. be the coroners are here. Are here. So they would oh. drive on the highway, and very quickly there was a movement to turn it into the Highway of Heroes. Yeah. It was incredible how fast they, they allowed that to happen. Yeah. So when I was never directly involved in any of the uh, the moves, but I would I went out on the odd bridge, and I was... Actually, I didn't go out on any bridges. I was on the route downtown. I didn't have to go on the bridges. I live in Toronto. Yeah. But when I saw on the news the number of people, and they just grew every time on the bridges and waving, it was moving. Yeah. So, I mean, Canadians seem to, you know, be sympathetic and willing to show support for the family. I don't know how much support people were showing for whatever war we're involved in or whatever situation we've got ourselves in that people are killed, mm-hmm. but they're certainly showing support, you know, for the family and, and, and for other soldiers as well is the way I read yeah. it. And it was incredible support. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we're part of this global bi- village and, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, 
you know, we have to participate in, in, in tough things. And, you know, you don't like to know that guys are going to get killed. Mm-hmm. That's a bit of a legacy that happens from some of the things we've seen in the past. And, and, you know, we're fortunate, I guess, that we don't have tens of thousands of guys being, when I say guys, it's also generic. Women Absolutely. are very much involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of troops, you know, in harm's way. For what reason? Mm-hmm. And, and most of the soldiers I talk to believe in the cause. The guys I know from Afghanistan, you know, my time in Bosnia, mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate if somebody gets killed. You know, it's not the expectation you go over there you, you train very hard to be as safe as possible and well as equipped as possible and in fact I think you know we're exceptionally well equipped and mm-hmm. exceptionally well trained mm-hmm. so you know what Canadians are doing seems to be well balanced not everybody should be cheering for their next peacekeeping mission on the other hand you know looking at the bigger picture it's probably not a peacekeeping mission but it's involvement somewhere yeah. that hopefully has some meaning Absolutely. somehow. Hopefully there could be some resolution with your involvement. Mm-hmm. Adam, thank you so much for coming in. Great to meet you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sure.